Good afternoon. I'm Joe Dworsky, and welcome to the Freedom to Buy podcast, presented each week by Supernet, which is the only payment network that enables credit card payments for cannabis merchants and consumers. Each week, this podcast will take you behind the scenes of banking, finance, payments, and technology to help educate both businesses and listeners like yourself on how to make the most of your purchasing power in the world of credit. My next guest has over 30 years of industry experience and is currently the co-founder and chief growth officer of World Insurance, which is the 24th largest brokerage in the country with clients in all 50 states. In Frank's role as chief growth officer, he has taken on the task of spearheading their emerging cannabis insurance program to help cannabis businesses throughout the country navigate the challenges of operating in today's market due to the differences between state and federal laws. Please welcome to today's show, Frank Costa. Frank, welcome and great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much, Joe. Great being with you. Terrific. Well, let's just jump right into it. And let me say, you know, congrats on the success at World Insurance. I was, you know, doing a little bit uh, review of the website, a lot of a lot of press releases. So obviously a lot of great things happening and continuing to happen at World Insurance. Before we jump into learning more about uh, World Insurance and its entry into the cannabis industry, can you share a little bit about your business history and how it led you to co-found World Insurance? Sure. So my this is my 35th year in the business, and I've had a number of different roles throughout. I've been an agency principal and an agency owner, and that's how I started in the business. Uh, I've been a sales manager, managed operations for commercial lines of insurance. And then when I joined World in 2017, I joined as the chief operating officer, trying to pull together some of that experience to help World propel itself and grow. Today, my role at World is as chief growth officer to drive organic growth. For perspective, Joe, when I joined World in 2017, I was the 47th employee and today, I'm happy to say we exceed 2,500 employees in wow. 250 offices in 36 states. So we have grown very quickly. I think we've grown very methodically and in a very unique structure. Uh, and what's great about the growth is that we've grown through acquisition, which is very big in my industry these days, a lot of mergers and acquisition activity. But as a result of those acquisitions, we've also aligned ourselves with really good entrepreneurial people and experienced people, and we continue to grow organically as well. So it's been a great story. It's been a great ride. Well, that's that's impressive. And that, I'm going to jump to one of my questions that I had later in the conversation, given that opener. I see, you know, with all the tremendous growth and what you've just explained, I see that back in August, Goldman Sachs Asset Management made a, you know, a, a large commitment to invest up to a billion dollars into to world insurance, which I guess is going to help fuel your, you know, continued growth. Can you talk a little bit about that for our listeners? Sure. So we've had similar to any industry, we've had our challenges to try to continue to accelerate the growth and continue to grow. And credit markets and debt markets are part of that challenge. And we've overcome that challenge and, and really been able to do 40 to 50 acquisitions per year prior to Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs loves our model. They like the methodology, our systems for integration. They've seen the results of our successes. 
and what nice people. They decided to give us a billion dollars and <laughs> their only mandate is, you know, insurance, we know finance, you keep doing what you do best, uh, we'll fund it. And we want you to just double down and accelerate the growth as, as much as you can. So this year we did about 57 agency acquisitions. The projection is we'll probably do somewhere around 100, 110 next year. Wow. Impressive. Impressive. Well, that's great. Can can you now share with our listeners the different business lines? I mean, I, I guess a lot of people might understand insurance, but for our listeners' purpose, can you talk a little bit about you know world insurance and what business lines uh, you're operating in currently? Sure. Happy to do so. So we, we really cater to a number of different segments, have models for delivering services to commercial ins- uh, clients, any types of businesses, to personal insurance. So for your listeners that have homeowners insurance and auto insurance, we do a lot of that business. We have an employee benefits division that takes care of group medical insurance and related services. And we have an investment arm called Pension Mark. That is a registered investment advisor and wealth management company to handle businesses and individuals' uh, financial needs. So all four of those segments are large, uh, all four are important to us, and all four, I'm happy to say, are growing. Wow. Okay. That's a nice overview. And how did you decide to enter the cannabis industry? And what challenges have you encountered due to the federal prohibition on cannabis? And how does that impact the business? Sure. It's a challenge. There's no doubt about it. When you look at historically some of the big changes that have happened in the insurance world, think about as a good example, Y2K. You know, Back in 2000, everybody was convinced that we weren't going to be in communication anymore. And there was a high focus on cyber liability and on technology. And that has now evolved into a major segment in terms of exposure and coverages. And I think the same thing is going to happen with cannabis. Cannabis has been around for a long, long time, dates back to ancient times, but has has a stigma attached to it, has a social stigma attached to it, and a legal and regulatory stigma attached to it as well. But we believe that it is here to stay, uh, it is not a fad, and that the amount of growth that they're going to see ex- is going to be exponential in a very short period of time. So as with any emerging industry, as with any area where there's a potential for growth, we want to address the risk management, the loss prevention, the loss mitigation, and the needs of that industry uh, as they grow. And we want to grow together. We want to grow with them. Unusually, the challenges are quite difficult with the cannabis industry because of the regulatory problems. So insurance carriers do not view cannabis as an industry that is easy to administer, easy to get a hold of in terms of forms and policies and so forth and actuarial rates. So as a result, there are a limited number of carriers at this point. I think that's going to change over time. And there are carriers, insurance companies that will continue to stay away from the industry until it becomes, in their view, more mainstream. How many carriers uh, are involved in this space currently? So for all lines of coverage, for the the traditional uh, grower or dispensary or plant touching operation, we have six direct carriers that we are licensed with that will handle all lines of coverage for 
those clients, liability insurance, workers' compensation, commercial auto, the mm -hmm. and property. There are several other carriers that have started to dip their toe in the marketplace, predominantly in management liability lines. So there are carriers writing directors and officers liability, which is an essential coverage, employment practices, crime, and other types of management liability coverage. Okay. So these are the types of risks that they're, they're insuring for. Outside of the growers, what other subsectors of the cannabis industry will you or, or, or the underwriters be providing insurance for? And I imagine premiums must be very high, uh, given, no pun intended on that, very high, but, but, but given emerging nature of the business. Sure. You know, as, as insurance companies do their actuarial work and try to predict losses and project claims, it's very difficult when you don't have a lot of historical data. So that's part of the challenge. And as a result, insurance companies tend to be conservative in their pricing. Some uh, aspects of the industry are going to be a little bit more difficult than others. Let's take growers, for example. Insurance companies are patterning growers' Uh, coverages like they do any agricultural type of an exposure. The difference, though, is that the product itself carries with it a much higher value than most agricultural products, and the, the, the processing is much more sophisticated. So you need hydroponic systems, you need specialty greenhouses and ventilation and so forth. So it's a much more expensive process and a much more expensive end product. I, I think what you'll find, Joe, is that the targets that we have for this industry are not just the growers and the dispensaries, important, nice people, we have solutions for them, but we are also very focused on those equipment manufacturers, on the testing laboratories, uh, and on the investors in the industry. The investors in the industry have a lot to lose if they don't have the proper coverage in place to protect their investment. You addressed, you know, getting into the space. I can imagine, I mean, given the size of world insurance internally, was that a challenge internally to get the board, you know, on, on board, if you will, to <laughs> enter the space versus, you know, a smaller company, you have, you know, more leverage, I would imagine. But what were the challenges to get the, you know, how long were you looking to enter the space before you actually got into the space before it was signed off? Sure. So we we really did do some uh, some planning that was six to eight months, I would say, of concerted effort to put together a real practice. And I think a couple of factors facilitated the end result, one of which was we approached this as a strategy that incorporated not just insurance, but we wanted to be solutions oriented for that marketplace in many other ways. So not unlike other industries that we uh, that we promote, uh, we aligned ourselves with strategic alliances in banking, in accounting, in legal services, and in payroll services. And our offering uh, to the marketplace, to the target market, is not just insurance. It's designed to be full solutions. And we use those strategic partners to execute on that uh, promise. Our board and internally at World, they like that. They like the ability to bring in and strategically approach uh, a client or a new client without just focusing on being the insurance guy type of, uh, type of an approach. 
Today, we, we have 12 people, which is not a lot, but we have 12 people that are, spend 100% of their time in the cannabis practice, engaging new clients, uh, promoting our, our services and our resources. And I expect that to double next year as we continue to grow the portfolio. Hmm. Okay, that, that that segues me right into my next question. You know, with the the type of growth that you'll see in the cannabis program, obviously you must have forecasted this out. Where do you see this particular program being over the next five years? Um, given where we are from a federal perspective, and maybe you factored in, uh, you know, federal approval as well. But how will this play out in terms of you know? being one of the, will it be one of the largest revenue items? That- I, I think it's going to wind up being in, within the next two to three years. It'll be in our top 10. You know, we have some very specialized segments that are so well established in construction and real estate and transportation. Uh, we have a self-storage program. We have a, a large healthcare division for medical malpractice. So it's going to be a while before cannabis overtakes those because those portfolios are pretty big. But I would expect it to be in the top 10 of our practices within the next year or so. It is growing that quickly. We've also been pretty smart about it. We have boots on the ground in many of the states that are critical in the growth. So Massachusetts, we have 18 offices in Massachusetts. We have a high concentration in New York and New Jersey, Illinois. So we're positioned well geographically to capitalize on those as the market continues to grow. One, one last point on that as well is it ties in nicely with my healthcare division. I mentioned healthcare before, and we are very focused on medical marijuana, understanding mm-hmm. that there's a transitional phase between medical and recreational. Uh, our healthcare division is already seeing a high demand from the practitioners to incorporate medicinal and medical marijuana treatments into their coverages. Hmm. So there's a good, I guess, a cross-pollination going on or more opportunity for that Sure. as the, uh, as it continues to emerge. Can you uh, talk about and explain a little bit about the two-tiered legal issues that the cannabis-related businesses encounter you know, due to the current regulatory environment and how that impacts your ability to penetrate the market with insurance? Sure. You know, clearly, we want to focusing on the states where that path is the least resistant. So states like Colorado and Illinois and now Massachusetts, you know, those are high focus areas for us because the distractions and the limitations and the potential problems surrounding the regulatory environment are are less. That being said, we you know, we we definitely see the need to be extremely careful uh, to guide our clients extremely carefully. And our partnership with uh, Davidoff, Hutchiner, and Citron, which is the law firm that has a cannabis practice we rely on, has been essential. You know, our ability, we're not insurance, we're, we're insurance people, we're not lawyers, but we often get those questions surrounding the legalities, uh, compliance, especially when there's interstate business and there's activity through the mail, or you have online distributors. So we rely heavily on our strategic partners uh, at the law firm uh, to counsel those folks on how to stay in compliance. It's going to continue to be that type of a a negotiation, if you will, or that type of a maneuver uh, for quite some time. 
I do think the SAFER Act is going to pass. It's already passed several times through mm-hmm. the House. It's going to pass through the Senate. That's inevitable. And I do think that as these um, as these changes happen in the legislature, that eventually we'll get to the point where it won't be as dramatic an issue as it is today. Well, that was part of my next question. You you addressed you know the point about safe banking, but with the recent you know uh, legislation discussions about rescheduling marijuana from Schedule One to Schedule Three, how do you see that impacting your business entering this space uh, as well as just the overall industry? From an yeah, underwriting, I, I, and let me let me add to that. You know, the underwriting, you know, I, I would imagine would be impacted as well for new policies. No question about it. The underwriting definitely would be impacted, and you know, I think there's two areas there. You know, as we look to uh, how the uh, insurance carriers are going to measure the risk, how they're going to evaluate the risk, I think that there are two key focal areas that tie into your question uh, from a coverage standpoint, their concern is workers' compensation coverage, protecting the employees within the industry, and commercial auto insurance coverage with the transport of the industry. And it it really opens up a lot of questions for the employers. If it's legal, and if 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 it's something that's accepted, not just socially, but legally, how does that impact impaired driving? How does that impact an impaired workplace? What does that do to an employer's rights to hire, fire, you know, employees? It's it's really a messy uh, a messy situation that the insurance carriers need to uh, put forth really strong rules and regulations on how they are going to handle it, and then employer compliance and employer reaction to that is also going to be uh, an, an interesting part of this. So, taking it from you know. One, two, or three, I think that that's going to have a dramatic impact and a change that insurance carriers, employers, uh, the overall industry uh, needs to attend to. I mean, I don't know where these the premiums are today. I and mean, we talked a little bit earlier. They're probably you know exorbitantly high given the emerging nature of the industry as well as the legislation, legislative hurdles that need to be addressed. How do you see, I mean, can we talk a little bit about, you know, the underwriting or more so the the, the premiums? How do you see, you know, new legislation impacting premiums? I mean, if it was approved on a federal level tomorrow, when would you see this, you know, pass through to, you know, adjusting premiums? And correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not an insurance guy. So if I'm saying (laughs) something incorrectly, please, uh, please correct me. I think I, I think you sound like an insurance guy. So here's <laughs> here's what I think will happen. I think that the opening up the regulations is going to basically just give more volume. There's going to be more people in the industry. It's going to grow exponentially. It's going to be much quicker. And that just in the terms of critical mass and the law of numbers, that's going to give insurance carriers more comfort because they're going to have a larger populace and a larger foundation to work from. So that should drive premiums down because mm-hmm. you just have more volume of premium to work with. That said, I, I still think that certain types of coverages are going to be very, very difficult and will stay very expensive. The property coverage is expensive, again, because of the factors we talked about before. And and generally, property insurance right now is in a very hard market, especially in Florida, especially in California and certain catastrophic 
uh, prone areas, but property in general is a very difficult marketplace capacity is, is low. Commercial auto is another area where we see high degree of claims and the cannabis industry is not going to be excluded from that. The, the transport of the product is going to continue to be an expensive proposition. I do think that rates on the management liability side will come down. Directors and officers liability coverage for the investors, the shareholders, protecting the money. I think as more people get into the industry, uh, carriers on that side will uh, see enough volume where they can stabilize or even reduce the premium levels. Mm-hmm. What about the uh, from the automotive perspective, expanding on that, you know, DUI, I've read and I've come across, you know, companies that are trying to develop technology like a breathalyzer, you know, to see if somebody's under the influence. Because I know, I like I said, I told you earlier, I moved down to Florida about a year and a half ago, but I used to commute over the GW every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lived in Manhattan. I remember and coming back at nighttime. It was the craziest thing. I was sm- going over the GW. I'm like, I smell skunk. I smell skunk. <laughs> and I smell it down here too. There are so many people that are driving and smoking. Obviously, mm-hmm. it impairs their ability. I would imagine that's a, that has to impact the, the underwriting and, and the premiums. I mean, how do you it- see that being addressed? It really does. And in insurance companies, that's what they're really shaking in their boots about because of the balance between the legality of it. And 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 they just don't have the more sophisticated technology. We've figured out alcohol. We figured out breathalyzers. And in commercial trucking, there are now components within the trucks as part of their telematics where we can figure out, you know, right in the cab, whether there is an issue in terms of being inebriated. But specific tests and specific controls and specific laws and repercussions tied to cannabis, we're a ways away from that. So insurance carriers are concerned because they are going to be faced with uh, claims and instances on a rise as cannabis becomes legal and marijuana usage becomes, uh, recreational marijuana usage becomes mainstream, we're all going to wind up paying for that. I mean, every policyholder is going to be assessed uh, in some way or shape or form to make up for that uh, lost revenue that the insurance company sustains. On your radar, what do you see as the biggest risk, you know, within, in, in the cannabis space, both from, you know, from an insuring perspective, where, where do you see that, that basic, biggest I risk? I think while we've talked about a lot of uh, really uh, important risks tied to property and auto and so mm-hmm. forth, I think the biggest risk without a doubt is product liability risks. Product liability is part of general liability coverage. It covers defense and settlement of claims when someone says they were injured by the product. So not surprisingly, you know, the the cannabis industry is finding itself in a host of new products, infused beverages and bombs and oils and hemp products and, you know, so many. And aside from just the sheer product that is sold at a dispensary. So I do envision that product liability claims will be on the rise. And we saw a huge instance of this and have seen a continued instance of this in the tobacco industry, where product liability mm-hmm. claims form the basis of tremendous class action suits. So if you ask me what I'm most concerned about, 
the newness of the product and the various applications of the derivatives of the product, I think that over the long term, product liability uh, is going to be one of the biggest things that uh, manufacturers and growers and everybody in the industry is going to be faced with as a challenge. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, they probably have uh, attorneys looking into that right now. You know, yeah. how can we go after the industry? Yeah, they're lined up and ready to go, and they're they're really looking for opportunities to say that that product didn't do what it said it was going to do. That's the other piece of this. It's not just a matter of the product not damaging you or hurting you. It's also not doing what it was purported to do. You know, this product is going to help you relax. It's going to help you to sleep. It's going to make you more beautiful. It's going to do all these things. And attorneys, you know, live for that type of marketing when the product mm-hmm. does not do what it's purported to do. It could be its own cottage industry, you know, emerging. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And we're seeing, uh, you know, one last point on it, just as a thing to take home to the kids, you know, we're seeing emerging industries coming through uh, on that side of it. So now there's bud and breakfast. So instead of a bed and breakfast, you can go to a bud and breakfast and <laughs> stay stay at a place that, you know, is on right on the growing facility. You know, we're seeing a lot of uh, variations on traditional themes that are tied to cannabis as well. It's interesting, uh, you know, how things change, you know, uh, so quickly, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see how legislation plays out over the next year. I mean, given the fact that we're going to, you know, we're going to be in an election year, it's going to be interesting to see what happens from a legislative uh, perspective, if it's, you know, stalled or or if they try to get something done, you know, before the election. Let's take a little shift the last couple of minutes that we have. I mean, I think everything that you shared with us was very uh, enlightening, eye-opening. I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners did as well. I'd like to take a step and just talk about success because you've had, you know, a, a very impressive career in the insurance industry, you know, from as your own agency and, and getting to where you're at with world insurance. Can you share with us, you know, your path to success, because I think everybody's always interested in learning about leaders in particular industries and and how they got to where they're at. Okay. So, you know, how much of your success, you know, would you say is attributable to timing and how much would you say was luck? You were in the right place at the right time. Wow. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and I'm happy to share that uh, with you. I, I, I really have reflected on this a long time, and I think people that are new to the industry, maybe to any industry, they, they really look for what is the final result? You know, where's my commission coming from, and how do I make money, and how do I capitalize on the target, and how do I be strategic? And I'll tell you that it took me not very long to realize that in this business, and and I think in many others, there are certain things that you can do that uh, really will lead you on to a path of success. In my case, what's worked well for me is is being an educator uh, to my clients. I think that the insurance industry uh, does not do a good job at educating clients on the importance of insurance and and how it works and what what you're paying for and. Well, I don't expect my clients to read their policies. I do tell them read their policies. That's really why I'm there. I'm there to interpret what that policy does and what it can do for them. So I think that's been part of what I enjoy doing. And that's part of what I think is, has helped me be successful is to continue to be on a path of educating my clients at whatever level. I also think the other thing that 
that really uh, I'll point to is that I, I truly do have a passion for the business. I think that at its heart, the insurance business is a, a solid business that is there when people need that product the most. They're, they're at their worst. They're in a crisis. They're at the moment that is a life changer in many cases. And to be able to step in and help those people and to be able to provide them with the resources and the products to make sure that they have stability in their life, I really do think that that has a lot of weight. And, and that's why I love to go to work every day. That's that's why I like meeting new people and learning about new industries and that whole gamut. I, I think if you approach your business with passion as an educator, as a giver, and uh, looking to help people, uh, I think that that all ultimately comes back in terms of the reward and the and the return. I couldn't agree with you more. Well said, and I appreciate that. Well, now this is going to lead to my next question, and maybe you can figure out what it's going to be because everybody on their path to success, they've always they hit a a bump in the road, okay, and inevitably we all have had failure in our career. Okay, getting to where we're at today. Uh, and we hopefully learn from that failure. Can you discuss you know, your biggest failure in business, you know, and what you've learned from that failure and how it's helped you to get where you're at today? Sure. So uh, happy to happy to share. There, there's plenty of examples, by the way, along <laughs> the way. Uh, Same here. So I, I would say that, you know, I, I, despite all of the roles that I've had and the, the things that I've tried to contribute to the agency, my still uh, number one uh, attraction in the business is to be client facing and to be able to work with a client directly one-on-one -on, -one on their exposures, their business, their portfolio, and their strategy. And I will say that maybe seven, eight years ago was probably the moment that I would use as the example. I was working on an extremely large account, a national account in scope. I was in competition with several other very capable brokers, and I did not get the account. And it was a disappointment. But in, in hindsight, I think that the reason I didn't get the account and what I learned from it was that I changed my methodology because I was in competition with really big name brokers. I mean, really the big ones. I thought I had to be different. I thought I had to change who I was and how I approached the client and how I approached business. And I had to pretend in many ways to, to be a really big broker like they were. And I think that that lack of transparency probably came through, even though I think I did a pretty good job. And what I learned from that is regardless of the size of the account, uh, regardless of the nature of the account or the location, just be yourself. And you know, win or lose being sincere about how you approach that transaction. Uh, don't try to be something that you're not. And clients will either or prospects will either accept you for what you are uh, or you'll learn from the experience. So that would be the the big, and that was a big account. Did I mention it was a really big account? That was a really <laughs> big account. Um <laughs> And it hurt a lot, but I, I, I definitely learned from it, and uh, and I would not take that uh, I would not take that path again if I had another opportunity. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I, I've always found in my travels in sales, it's important to be genuine. You know that if you're genuine in your approach and your conversation, everything hopefully will fall into place. You have a good product, and you know you develop that relationship. Well, this has been great, Frank. I, I really uh, appreciate your time. 
I've learned a lot. Uh, I'm sure our listeners, once this is aired, will learn a lot. Very interesting how you're breaking into the cannabis industry. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. And it's great that um, to hear how you know the challenges that you need to overcome and how you guys at World Insurance are overcoming that. Well, I appreciate that. If anybody, before I get into the closing, if our listeners want to learn more about World Insurance and learn more about opportunities, if they have cannabis-related businesses and want to get in contact, what's the best way for our listeners uh, to reach out and, and learn more? Well, that'd be great. And uh, welcome any uh, of your listeners to check in with me. You can visit our site at worldinsurance.com and we have a complete directory and there is a cannabis uh, page, landing page there. You can feel free to email me directly. I have a very easy first and last name. It's Frank Costa at worldinsurance.com. You can email me anytime and I would do my best to support you. And I want to thank you, Joe. Uh, I wish you much success in your business. And uh, to your listeners, you're in a great industry. You're in a, in a that it's in its infancy. Uh, you know, I wish you much success as you try to grow your business. Uh, if we can be of help in doing that, that would be my pleasure. Oh, that's terrific. I really appreciate it. And once again, this helps our business by having guests like you on our show. Well, thanks everybody for listening to today's Freedom to Buy podcast uh, presented by Supernet. Uh, you can learn more about our payment network by going to our website at supernet.ai. You can listen to today's episode as well as past episodes of Freedom to Buy at CannabisRadio.com. Uh, and you can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, please join us next week as we have our next guest on the Freedom to Buy podcast. Thank you and have a great afternoon.